and get started. I wanted to begin this morning by sharing a story that is found in Luis Palau's book called It's a God Thing. And in that book, It's a God Thing, Luis tells a story of a man named Phil Calloway. Phil Calloway and his wife Ramona were in their 20s, and they had several young children. And Phil was struggling with how to answer his children when his children said to him, Daddy, is mommy going to die? Because Phil's young wife, Ramona, had developed horrible seizures that had just come upon her in her late 20s. And they had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor, and nobody could figure out what was wrong with Ramona. And it got worse and worse and worse. At one point, she got down to 90 pounds. And her children were afraid she wasn't going to live any longer. The seizures just getting worse and worse. By the fall of 1996, they were happening on an hourly basis. Just try to imagine that. Phil couldn't even go to work. He had to spend every day with his wife with these hourly seizures. And there was no end to it in sight. I mean, you think, you've got some problems. Every hour, seizure. And so one night, Phil was at the end of his rope it was dark and everyone was, it was, it was night and, and he just didn't know what to do. So he went out into the backyard and in the dead of night he fell to his knees and he said, God, I can't go any longer. Do something. And all of a sudden in that moment, according to Luis Palau, when he prayed that, a name came in his head. A name he didn't know. And he wondered, I wonder if that's a doctor. And he went inside found out that this name in his, in his mind was a doctor. Got a hold of the doctor the next day, explained the situation. The doctor said, bring her in right now. She came in, the doctor was available, looked at her, diagnosed an extremely rare chemical deficiency that he's an expert in. Within a week, her seizures were gone. Wow. And Phil declares it a miracle. That's what it is. An answer to prayer, an absolute miracle. Wow. So good for Phil and Ramona. And they praise God and they give him glory. But I can't help but think about, right, all those people who've been praying for their miracle. And where's their miracle? Great for Phil and Ramona, but what about me, Lord? Think about Brian Doyle. Hundreds of people across the country praying for Barb. Barb passed away. What about our miracle? What do we do when our prayers seemingly go unanswered? That's the kind of man we're meeting in our passage this morning. Go ahead and turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 9. And as we look at this man's story, I want all of you to be thinking about, is there a God do something situation in your life. Or maybe if not your direct life at the moment, someone you know, a relationship, finances, physical issue, spiritual oppression of some kind that just won't let go. And I know there's many of them. Have that situation in your mind as we go through this passage this morning. We're in a sermon series, on, for those of you who are visiting, on Mark chapter, uh, Mark, the gospel of Mark, Jesus, more than enough, 
which is why we praised God just a minute ago. Our whole worship was about how worthy he is. And he is creator of all things. But there are those moments when, boy, our faith is tested. And that old King James phrase, help thou mine unbelief, is all you can utter. Like the man in our story, like Phil Calloway, and like all of us in our God-do-something situations. So have that situation in your mind as we take a look at, at the scripture this morning. And Father, I pray as we go into this, in Jesus' name, Lord, I don't know what you want to do here this morning, but it's by your sovereign hand and your great purpose that every single person is here this morning. This is where you have ordained us to be, and it is not happenstance. Lord, there is nothing that happens on earth that misses your attention. We're here. And Lord, your word is perfect. Your word is powerful. Your word is holy. Help us to hear your word. Speak into these, where are you, God, situations in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be picking up verse 14, but let me just pick up where we were last week. Do you remember, those of you who were here last week, if you weren't, that last week we saw one of the most glorious passages in all of Scripture, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he, the Father, unveils his human flesh and the costume, if you will, of his humanity to see the essential Jesus as he is in his eternal glory, this dazzling white that just, that just blows the disciples, the three who are with him away. Three of the 12 are with him, nine aren't. And this incredible episode, at the, at the end of it, they come down the mountain and he has a conversation with the three. And that's where we left off last week, coming down from the glory of a heavenly encounter down into the reality of earthly weakness. Because he walks right into an argument. <laughs> Talk about going from mountaintop you know, back to reality. Here we are, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, so it was Jesus, three disciples, now they come to the other nine, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. And he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Let's just stop there for now. Let's just consider the situation. I mean, once again, just imagine Jesus and disciples. They have just had this incredible experience. Heaven was, the, the, the heaven, the portals of heaven were open. They saw the glory of God. And then they come down and bingo, argumentation going on. And it's not just any kind of arguing. The word here for argue in verse 14, suzateo, is in the construct grammatically of this sentence. It is a hostile debate that's going on. It's not a nice conversation between friends. 
Why would it be hostile? Well, let's see. It's between, it says, the disciples, nine disciples who didn't go up on the mountain and this large crowd around them and teachers of the law arguing with them. We've been seeing these teachers of the law. They are the experts from Jerusalem who are coming to check out Jesus because his rabbi is a little unorthodox. He doesn't do things our way, the way we think is right. And they're trying to find something wrong with Jesus. They're trying to pin something on Jesus so they can take him down. And they come, they, they come and they find his disciples. And it appears that what happens is they happen to see that his disciples were working with this demon-possessed young man. And, and the demon wasn't cast out. So if you put that together, most likely what they're arguing about is that these teachers of the law saw an opportunity. See, I knew he was a fraud. I knew he was a fraud. You can't do what you say you can do. And uh, what? And the disciples, and now they, they're just arguing, and it's this, it's this nasty back and forth. It's a hostile exchange going back and forth. And so Jesus comes at just the right time, at least for them. If I were Jesus, I wouldn't want to stay on the mountain a little longer, right? But sooner or later, you've got to come down into reality. You cannot stay on the mount forever. And so he comes down into reality, and everyone's excited to see him. Verse 15, when the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. That's actually only one word in the Greek, overwhelmed with wonder. And it is a word that's a really extreme word for intense emotion. It's the same word used with Jesus' emotion in the Garden of Gethsemane. Same word. The same word used of his, of his uh, suffering on the cross. It is an intense emotion that they're feeling when Jesus gets there. And so because of that, some scholars think Jesus must still be reflecting some of that glory from the mount. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai? Do you guys remember the story when Moses went up? When he came down, what was happening? His face was still glowing. So some scholars think maybe Jesus' face is still glowing. And that's why people are responding with this overwhelming excitement way more than anything we've seen up until now in Mark. Honestly, I don't really buy that. Because if you go back a few verses to last week, he had told the disciples, don't tell anybody about what you saw until after I've been raised. So if he doesn't want people to know what happened on the mount, coming down like a glow stick doesn't exactly hide it very well, does it? So my, I don't think he's glowing. I think people are excited to see Jesus because this argument is nasty. And they're hoping he can solve it. And I think also because there are some very desperate people who have come to see Jesus, including this man whose son is in this horrible situation. And so they run to greet him and he says to them, what are you arguing about? What's, what's, the, what's going on here? Does he not know? I think he knows. I think he wants to draw it out. What's the issue? Now he says, notice, what are you arguing with them about? Who's arguing? The disciples and the teachers of the law. So is he addressing it to disciples? What are you arguing with them about? Inform me. Or is he saying to the teachers of the law, what are you arguing with them about? Protecting his disciples. We don't, we don't know. It doesn't really matter a whole lot. But what's interesting is that the reply doesn't come from the people he addresses. He says, what are you arguing with them about? Meaning the people who are arguing and yet a voice from the crowd answers. A man in the crowd answered, just don't go any further than that. We need to identify with this man in the crowd. This man in the crowd is so desperate. If you can tap into your impossible situation for a minute, and he sees an opportunity to connect with Jesus, and he's going to grab it. I don't care if he's referencing me or not. I'm going to grab it. 
and he speaks up. And he talks about the issue. Teacher, I I brought you my son. I, I brought him to you, obviously hoping what? That the impossibility would be healed, right? He's possessed by his spirit. And then he, then he describes it, robbed him of speech, and whenever it sees him, throws him to the ground, foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now look at that description there, right? He brings him his son. Now this sounds a lot like epilepsy, if you're paying attention. And, you know, modern scholars or liberal scholars in particular will say that's what this is, being mistaken as a spiritual condition. Listen, Scripture always differentiates between physical conditions and demonic activity. Always differentiates. Okay, they're, they're not mistaken here. As you're going to see, there is a demon involved here. And now, this is controversial in the modern world, but listen, Scripture is very clear. We tend to think in compartments. There's the physical and the spiritual. That's not biblical thinking. Biblical thinking is it's all connected. The physical affects the emotional, which affects the spiritual, affects the intellect. It all relate, it all connects. And so this, this, this man's got this demonic, this young boy, this boy, we don't know how old he is, but he's got this spirit in him that is causing it to act out in this epileptic type symptoms. And it's awful. And we need to connect to this man's pain. The verb tense on on all the things that are described, seized him, throws him, foams, gnashes, rigid, all those verbs are present tense. And they're iterative. What does that mean? It means repetition. This this, this like the woman I talked about in the opening illustration, Ramona. This young little boy, this, this, this poor little boy is constantly being thrown around and battered like this. Just try to imagine being... Being the father of this boy and watching this constantly. Actually, we're going to see the, the symptoms are repeated four times in just a few verses. Showing just the extreme nature of, what, of, this, of, this, of this physical manifestation of, of Satan's battering of this young man. This is a horrible situation. And the Gospel of Luke chapter 9 tells us that it's his only son. So just try to connect to that for a minute. And what that would be like to watch your son going through it. And then he says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. He heard about Jesus. If you remember back in chapter 6, the disciples had gone on a tour of Galilee. Do you remember this? And they cast out all kinds of demons is what the text said. Multiple, many. Back in chapter 3, Jesus had given them the authority to drive out demons. So frankly, they should have been able to cast this demon out. They've been given authority to do it. They've done it time and time again. So why not this time? Well, we're going to get there. Hold on to that for a minute, but let's just see Jesus' reaction. Verse 19, you unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How, How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here. Now, The question here is a few things. Well, first of all, I need to show you something that's not in my translation. You unbelieving generation, actually, it's oh, unbelieving generation. The Greek omega is an interjection of of extreme emotion, and that's in there. And some of your translations have oh, NIV just puts you. No, it's stronger than that. It's oh, unbelieving generation. And then the questions aren't meant to be answered. (laughs) He's just making the point. 
And the question is, who is he talking about? Who is he upset with? Who is he saying is, who is this unbelieving generation? Is it, some think it's the disciples he's talking about. Because you didn't believe, the demon wasn't cast out. That seems to make sense. Others think, no, he's probably frustrated with the teachers of the law. You unbelieving generation. How, much, how long do I have to deal with you and trying to fr- find frauds everywhere? Maybe he's talking to the man. Because we're going to see in a moment that the man seems so, not so sure he's, the healing's going to come after all. He's losing faith. I personally think generation is a word that typically means a large group of people. I think he's talking about what I would say probably half the commentators think, which is he's talking about humanity in general. How long do I have to be on this planet amongst all of this unbelief and perversion? Now, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like the heart of Jesus. He loves the world. That's why he comes, right? But remember the context. Remember the context. Where did he just come from? What did he experience on the Mount of Transfiguration? Home. Perfection. He experiences perfection. He experiences everything as it ought to be. And then the next morning, here he is down back in all of this. (laughs) And in that moment, we hear his lament. And that's my first point, his lament. I think what he's doing is lamenting, oh, this, how long, how long, Lord, how long? You know, we're not the only ones who say, how long, Lord? Even Jesus says, how long, Lord? On the cross, why have you forsaken? We're not the only one who lament. But you know, we don't do lament well. I think we tend to think of lament as complaining. Or we think of lament as a lack of faith. But you look in the Psalms, a good chunk of the Psalms are just nothing but laments. What is a lament? A lament is, is, is saying, Lord, it, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And it grieves me. I'm reminded of Lot, who's described in 2 Peter chapter 2 in this way. For that righteous man, Lot, who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, which was the epitome of ugliness, living among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Let me ask you, can you say you're tormented in your soul with what you see in the world? Tormenting, lamenting it. How about just, we could go on and on about all that's wrong with the world, right? Human trafficking. Are you kidding me? Children? How about the border? I don't care what your politics are. Regardless of the politics, children are suffering at the border. And I think one thing that's really telling about this passage the healing of this boy is a theological debate with the disciples and the teachers of the law. It's personal for this man. And we can debate the politics of immigration and the border all we want, but it's personal for that little 18-month-old who's dying at the border. And our hearts need to go out regardless of the politics. Father, we pray for that. and We lament, Lord. Lord, another murder Friday night in Hartford. And Father, our, our, our instinct is protect, hide, forget it's there. Just stay in our nice little perfect suburban life. But that's not the call on our lives as followers of Jesus. 
We're not called to safety. So, Father, would you help us? What we sang this morning may not just be words on a screen. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, may that be true. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus doesn't just not lament. He goes beyond lamenting. He says, bring the boy here. He does something about it. Why? Because that's his mission. 1 John 3, we're told what Jesus' mission is. And if we're followers of Jesus, it's our mission too. The reason the Son of God appeared, a whole reason he came, not because it was vacation. He came to destroy the devil's work. Destroy it. And if we're walking in the dust of the rabbi, we need to engage evil in all its forms as well. Whether it's economic, whether it's uh, social, whether it's spiritual, whether in all its forms, it's disgusting, vile, and pulls people away from God. And we need to engage it however God will call us to. So Lord, use these hearts for Project Kids. Lord, open their eyes, break their hearts for what breaks yours as they're in that city. And do the same for us as we're in the suburb or wherever we happen to be, Lord. Break our hearts. So Jesus does something about it. He jumps in, verse 20. So they brought in the boy. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. There's a description again. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this with his clipboard? (laughs) Kind of sounds that way, doesn't it? How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. Let that sink in for a minute. Been a long time. Any of your where are you God situation has been going on a long time? Drains your faith, doesn't it? It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. See, the enemy's out for blood. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. If you can. How many times have I said to the Lord, Lord, can you? And he's like, if I can, right? Everything is possible for one who believes. What a moment. Let's back up a minute here. So 20, they bring him, and then the spirit manifests itself. As soon as Jesus confronts the evil, what does evil do? Does it run and hide? What does evil do when you confront it? It reveals itself, right? Satan doesn't go down easy. And see, that's why we don't want to engage with evil. Because if you engage in evil, get ready. The heat's going up, not down. And it's so much easier to just say, you know what, just kind of take it on autopilot because I don't want to go through all that. No, no, no. You engage, you ask Amory with Human Trafficking. Ask uh, counselors when they're dealing with people and trying to get at the root issue. And all of a sudden, the enemy will manifest itself right in that moment. Enemy doesn't want to give up. So you got to be ready. you got to have the, the armor of God on as we do the work of God. It's spiritual warfare. And the enemy does not let go easily. So, boom, he, immediately Jesus comes. There goes the demonic spirit, takes control of this little boy. And it's a scary moment. I mean, trying to picture, it's a scary moment. Everyone's got to be, I mean, last week, Diane and I, we've been, we've been playing pickleball in Simsbury with, a, with senior citizens, where I guess we're senior citizens now, too. <laughs> Don't you laugh. 
Anyways, we're playing pickleball. So last week, we're playing pickleball. On, I don't know if you know pickleball, but it's on a tennis court for those who can't move very well. And so we're on this tennis court. It's Henry James in Simsbury. And there was one guy there, first time playing, you know, typical guy like me, haven't done anything for months, and then you go out there and you think you're going to, you know, be a world beater. And he goes running. It's 95 degrees, right? He goes running for something and somehow trips, falls, and has this awkward fall, really awkward, right in front of me. And he hit his head on the tennis court. And then he goes, I'm kind of dizzy. Actually, I'm very dizzy. And so everyone comes rushing around him. And, and there was one guy there who's an obstetrician. So, you know, he's a doctor, not an emergency doctor of that kind. But anyways, he's a doctor. He's like, okay, you know, elevate his knees. As soon as the knees got elevated, he seemed to get better. So they were like, okay, give him some water. And he seemed like he was coming too. And I was thinking to myself, I should go over and pray over him. And, you know, but I, first time there too, I'm like, I don't know. It feels a little awkward. And, but he's getting better, so we're good. I'm praying to myself, kind of, you know, probably, Lord, have mercy on this guy. Well, he's getting better. So then we helped him up, and we brought him over to the side and sat him in a chair. And he sits down, and he starts talking about, I don't know what happened. And, and then all of a sudden, his eyes started getting droopy, and he starts talking gibberish. And then his head goes backward, and he starts snoring, and then he stops all movement and sound completely. And I'm going, oh my goodness, he's dying right in front of us. So the obstetrician goes over and says, there's no pulse, call 911. And I'm like, oh. So now I put my hands on him, Lord God, please heal this man. And then the others are like, you know, elevate his knees. As soon as his knees got elevated, he snapped back. And then we kept that up, gave him water, kept praying for him. And then, you know, the ambulance came, took him away in a stretcher. Scary. That's what's happening in this passage that is just black and white words on a page. But when you read scripture, ask God, help me to enter into. These are human beings in real situations. They're watching this young boy writhing. It's scary. Except for Jesus, verse 21. How long has he been like this? You know, it really struck me. The obstetrician, Diane and I were commenting. He was so calm. Even when he said, there's no pulse. He didn't say, there's no pulse. Okay, there's no pulse, call 911. And I was like, wow. His training, I guess, just kicked in. But Jesus has got training too in spiritual warfare. How long has he been like this? I love that. Best thing I got in my counseling class in seminary, be a non-anxious presence when people are freaked out. Non-anxious presence. God's got this. Trust him. How long has he been like this from childhood? This has been going on a long time. Like I said, this is this boy's life. This is all this boy has known is these awful seizures in public. Can you imagine this poor father? And it's trying to kill him, as I said. And then he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us. It looks like he started to wonder. I mean, the disciples failed. So, and you know, don't you feel that way sometimes? You know, all these people get what they want, but then when it's my turn, I, I, you know, no wonder it didn't work because it was me, whether it's work situation or, and so he's wondering, if you can do anything, we'll take crumbs, Lord, anything. Take pity on us and help us. He's at the end of his rope. This guy's at the end of his rope. Just like some of you have gotten to the place with your impossible situation when you can't imagine, You're praying for breakthrough, but do you really expect it? If you can, 
said Jesus. If you can, and I can't explain the Greek grammar well enough to say, the way it's written in the Greek makes it clear that Jesus is like using this as an opportunity to teach this man. Let's, as far as that if you can statement, let, let's, he's not being harsh with this man. This man is suffering. As far as that if you can, can I just correct that for a minute? And then he says, right, everything's possible for the one who believes. What he's trying to do is he's trying to help this man. He's trying to encourage his faith. He's trying to encourage him not to give up. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, this is a famous quote from the Bible. This is one of those verses like John 3.16 that a lot of people know. Matter of fact, I was in the Simsbury Library two weeks ago, and I took a picture of a bumper sticker I saw in the parking lot. All things are possible to those who believe. It's, it's become like a bumper sticker slogan, right? All things are possible. Now, unfortunately, not only is it off-quoted, it's often misused as well. Because it gets used as what? Anything you want. Name it, claim it. If, name it, and if you just believe, it's yours. And you see some televangelists sometimes might be talking about, you just believe, I believe God for that yacht, and I knew it was mine, and he gave it to me. Praise God. He's a generous God. You know, and all of this garbage... We're here to destroy the works of Satan, not to be on vacation. Not that it's wrong to go on vacation, as most of you are about to head out on, including me. But even on vacation, we are his ambassadors everywhere, always, till the day we're in heaven. That never stops. And we don't use a verse like that just to aggrandize our own selfish pleasure. And anyway, that's not what it promises anyways. Look carefully at it. Everything is guaranteed for him who believes? Possible. Big difference, isn't there? See, guaranteed is if you believe it and name it, it's yours. No, 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 no. It's possible. See, at the end of the day, every request we make, even the impossible ones, have to be with an open hand. Oh, that's where we struggle. Because I have control issues. I'm sure many of you do. And don't like the way the Lord's going about that. So let me help him out a little bit, you know. No, you have to have an open hand. Lord, whatever your will is, I'm going to... And see, that's faith. I trust that you're good and whatever the answer, Lord, I'm going to receive it by faith that you are good and you know better than I do what's good for me. And you ask Brian Doyle right now and he will be the first to tell you that he believes God's will was done in Barb's life. She served the purpose that he had for her and he celebrates her life. That's a submitted servant, trusting the hand of the Father, even in difficulty. But what Jesus is trying to do here, okay, so don't misuse it, but also remember what he's saying. The flip side is also important, probably the lesson Jesus is trying to teach, which is this. You who've lost your faith, don't limit God. Don't limit him. He can do anything. He really can. Remember what he said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. It's true. He's saying, don't limit God. Do we limit God? Have we gotten so jaded with God's response to us that we've lowered our required, lowered what we even believe can be true? In that impossible situation I've asked you to meditate on all morning, can you see it happening? Can you see God possibly doing that? Or have you given up hope and just resigned yourself that it's always going to be this way? Because that's discouragement, and then Satan's got his victory. No, 
God wants you to walk in faith. And faith means trusting that the impossible, he can do the impossible. If that's his will, it can happen. And I can, I'm going to believe him until he tells me no. And keep asking and don't stop asking. Persistence. And so that's my second point here this morning. Jesus urges trusting in God, even in impossible situations. There are all sorts of, I wish we had time to just go around and hear, how has God answered prayer over the years? Just for the sake, we've been talking about the underground this morning. I'm reminded about one thing with them. A request that they've had for years is for transitional housing. When a young woman is saved out of trafficking, she needs all sorts of ministry before she can start to get her life going again. She needs a, a temporary place where she can go and get, get, get healed up in order to then take the next steps. If you try to go from rescue to a normal life, you're going right back to that life. But there is no temporary housing in Connecticut. And that's, that's been a gap. But it's a, a huge undertaking. But the underground's been praying for it for years. And then not too long ago, they were given this, a mansion. It's a mansion for $1 a year, a dollar a year lease. And now there's teams of people going in there and, and remodeling every single house, every single room. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You can do great things, Lord. Lord, we pray that women's lives would be absolutely restored and renewed in that place, Lord, and that the enemy would come nowhere near it, Lord. You would protect it. Use this house for your glory. And thank you for showing forth your majesty and answered a bodacious prayer, Lord. So we thank you for that. We bless you in Jesus' name. And there's teams going in there. Matter of fact, if you want to help, just talk to Anne-Marie. There's teams going in and remodeling it right now to get it ready for, for women to get in there and use it. But they weren't afraid to pray big. Pray big. It honors God. But again, what about when those, those requests don't get answered? Because this man believed that Jesus could help him. He comes to his disciples, and in the first century, the expectation was a disciple can do whatever the rabbi can do. And so he fully expects healing. Plus, there's a reputation that these disciples, chapter 6 said, the disciples became famous throughout Galilee as well. They've got a reputation, and yet it didn't happen. So it's very, this is his moment to say, am I going to fall back into resignation? Am I going to fall back into, it's never going to be, God's never going to move in my life. Like there's something, I'm unusually cursed over all people. Am I going to fall back into that lie? Or am I going to walk by faith? What is this man going to do? And so we see him in verse 24. Immediately the boy's father exclaims, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And that's the title of my sermon. The, the King James, I love the classic words. Help thou mine unbelief. It's a, the, that, that verse has been echoed by believers for centuries. Centuries. Help thou my unbelief. It's what we have in common. We're on this earth. We struggle to believe at times. I love what Mark Strauss said about this verse. He said, this is two sides of the faith coin in action. On the one hand, he says, I believe. In other words, I'm willing to step into this reality. I'm willing to go with you, Jesus, and risk it failing again. That's the step of faith. I'm willing to go no matter what happens. I believe. But then the flip side of the coin is, help me in my unbelief. An honest admission that I don't, I don't have it all together, Lord. I, I don't have perfect faith. I don't have the faith, you know, that some others do. I, all I can bring, all my faith is, is, is that you, Lord, you help me, Lord. I need you. I need you. I believe you. I need you. 
That's what faith is all about. Faith isn't about you having it all together. Faith is about believing God has it all together. And you can trust him and step out and watch what he does. And so he steps out. And now, these next several verses go very quickly, and they're meant to be fast in the Greek, and so I'm going to do that. Verse 25, when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, speeding up here, he rebuked the impure spirit. He just turns around and rebukes the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. Remember, it had made the boy unable to speak. That's what it does. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Jesus just speaks authoritatively. No big, you know, back in the first century, exorcisms that Jewish uh, 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 rabbis would do were often, there's writings in Josephus, the Jewish historian, about the elaborate nature and all these things that they would do. Jesus just says the word. He doesn't want to make a spectacle out of this boy any more than he's already done with everyone running over here. So he just wants to get it done. Command you come out of him. And the spirit shrieked. So see, the spirit isn't, this, this demonic spirit is not mute. It just makes others mute, okay? It shrieks, ah! convulsed him violently, and comes out one more time before he leaves. He batters this young boy to the point that he looks so much like a corpse. People said he's dead. This poor boy. You know, and Satan will fight tooth and claw to the very end. He won't let go easily. But he has to go because the word of Christ is powerful. Nothing can stand before the word of Christ. But Jesus took him by the hand and showed he's not dead. He lifts him to his feet and he stood up. What a moment. Can you imagine the excitement in the crowd? Yes! This boy is delivered. The father has his son back. Just like you guys erupted when I talked about Phil and Ramona. That would have been the same thing in this crowd. Wow! God's done it again. Jesus has done it again. Praise be to God. What can stand before the mighty, mighty, mighty Jesus? Nothing. Everything is possible for him who believes. And even the wording here, he's, that which is dead, he brings to life. That's what Jesus does. He takes dead things, whether relationships, spirits, people, and he raises them to life. That's what he does. And in your impossible situation, he wants to bring life. Believe him. Pray for it. But there's one thing that's undone and and left unresolved. Let's look at that real quick. Last two verses, verse 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, now it's just them, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? We don't get it. We were able to drive them out before. My guess is they did the exact same things they've done in the past. We did it the same way. You gave us authority to do it. What happened? And then Jesus replies, this kind can come out only by prayer. And you may have a note that says down at the bottom, some manuscripts say prayer and fasting. I'd say it's 100% agreement that the original text is just prayer. Fasting was added on by the early church because they practiced fasting so much with, with prayer. Either way, it doesn't really matter. Jesus basically says, listen, it only comes out by prayer. Now, that's a weird verse. Why is that a weird verse? It's a weird verse for two reasons. And I had never thought of this until I studied it. First reason it's a weird verse is because Jesus had taught them to cast out demons by prayer. That's the method he taught them. Cry out to your father. And so I got to believe they prayed. What else would they have done? 
I, I doubt they would have, you know, put mud on the person. Or something. Maybe, I don't know. But most likely they prayed. So what do you mean by prayer? But here's the really weird one. He says this kind can only come out by prayer. Go back in the text. Where does Jesus pray? Does Jesus pray in this miracle? No. What's that? Diane, did you have an idea? I thought I heard your voice. I'm sorry, murmuring. Okay, not visibly. He was pre-prayed. You guys all know Brett. He's Jesus, so he has, he's the big gun, so it's different from us. Well, and that's a whole act, to be honest with you, I'm not, I don't have time for this, but there's a whole debate in the commentaries about the whole name of a spirit thing, and is that biblical or not? It's a whole other conversation I won't get into, but, right, well, the bottom line, everything you guys are saying are possibilities. We really, the bottom line is we don't really know exactly for sure what he means by what he said. All of these, everything you said, at least one commentary mentioned. So there is no, no absolute. But one thing I will point to again is context. Context. Where did Jesus just come from? When Jesus goes to the mountains in the Gospels, what is he going to do usually? He goes to the mountains to pray. Now Luke's Gospel adds for us that he was there all night and he comes down the next morning. How many times did Jesus go in the mountains to pray? So really, I think, this is just my opinion, you're free to disagree with me, it's more along the line of the pre-prayed thing. That what we have with Jesus is he is in the mode of being connected with his Father. He's not talking about a technique, pray this formula, and see, we like formulas. We like to buy books on how to do things. Follow the formula. Jesus is connected with his Father. He, his life is prayer. This week I was reading Psalm 42. I love verse 8. It says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I love that wording. My whole life is a prayer because I'm constantly connected to him. I like how one commentator put it. This was the one that resonated the most with me. He said, David Garland, since Jesus does not pray before performing the exorcism, at least out loud, prayer is not a one-time invocation of God's power. Effective prayer is a continuous posture, not simply an emergency procedure. And so it's walking with him. It's being in constant dialogue with him. It's practicing his presence. It's having his word so deeply in you that you pray his word to him and you're hearing from him continually. You're, you're staying connected with him. I'm reminded of a couple passages you all know, but let's remind ourselves again. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, nothing. Disciples, I think at some point these nine disciples fell back on, okay, how are we supposed to do this? They fell back on technique. This is just my guess now. They either fell back in technique, they fell back in their own wisdom, like, like uh, Felicia said, exactly. There's no power there. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord, not in your techniques and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. There it is, being in sync with him continually so you could take your stand against the devil's schemes. And if we're honest, we fall back on our own flesh all the time, don't we? It's actually easy for me to come up here and preach a sermon. I know people say to me, I could never do that. Well, I can't do what you do. (laughs) This is easy. It would be very easy for me to come up and preach, uh, I think, a good sermon. You'd walk away going, that was good. But if if I'm not connected to the vine, there's no power in it. It was just entertainment. And same's true for all of our ministries. If you're part of a ministry, are you just mailing it in or do you see it as a station in the kingdom of God in the spiritual fight against an enemy who's out to destroy? And no matter what ministry you're in, whether it's worship, ushering, children's, it is an outpost of military action in the kingdom. And we have to stay connected or we have no chance just like these disciples. I had one more thing I was going to share, but I'm out of time, so I'll just leave it at that. Let's, do I, a third point there, right? Did I show? Yeah, I can't remember. No. Jesus calls for prayerful dependence on God. I don't have time to share it, but um, I was going to share with you this book I read this week called Praying the Bible. And basically, if your prayer life has gotten dull and stale and I... The techniques aren't bad. Just don't rely on them. We all use techniques of some kind. Techniques aren't bad. Just don't rely on them. And this is, this is a book that just encourages you to how to pray through the word of God. You take a psalm and you just pray one line at a time and you personalize it with the Lord. And, and so instead of praying the same old things about the same old things in the same old way, let the word of God enrich your prayer life. It's just an idea if um, you feel like you need uh, help there in your prayer life in particular, but really it comes down to our hearts. And so I want to end with this. I got an email from Dawn this, in Moldova, who we sent last week, and she, in a couple sentences here, talked about what God's doing. And she said this, Today I heard about how a village was protected from the Moonies coming in. Remember the Moonies? been a long time since we heard about the Moonies. A cult. They were coming in under the pretense of social help for families. But the Spirit led the Christians, see, they're in, they're in sync to the Spirit, to the knowledge of the attempt, and they were able by the power of God to keep the festival from taking place. And I believe you, Winterbury, was involved in that victory in the kingdom. Praise God for that. Let's stay connected to the Lord, the one and only mighty one. Father, I pray for us as a body. Would you help us, Lord, to stay connected into your spirit, vine and branches, Lord, abiding in you. Lord, we are not here to be on vacation or to build our palaces. We are here, Lord, to join you in your work of destroying the devil's work on earth until the day you come. That's our mission. So guide us and lead each one of us, and may we stay deeply connected to you, and may you do great and powerful things to your great glory. We pray this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you up here. Fourth through sixth graders, if you would please come meet me over here, I'd love to pray with you. Walk in faith, Wintonberry. Turn on the faucet of prayer.
Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Dear church, you must praise the Lord today with me. Come on now. Come on. He is a great God. And we praise your holy name, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us today, Lord. You are awesome and majestic. You are righteous, Lord God. You are everything to us, Father. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is everything to us, Lord, no matter what we are going through. There you go with us, Lord, everywhere and in everything. Thank you, Lord, that darkness cannot comprehend the light of Jesus Christ. Your light will always shine brighter than any darkness, Lord. And we thank you for that truth. And we thank you for the power of your deliverance, Lord. And if only we would deepen our faith, Lord, and believe in a deeper way, Lord. Help us to be believers in you and your great and awesome, awesome power and strength. Father God, you are welcome in this place. Your spirit may reign here today. Captivate our hearts, Lord, and do with us as you will. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. We glorify you. Bless you, Lord. We are so welcome in this place. Father, as you take our offering, let it be unto your name, Lord, that many territories would come to know you as Lord and Savior. And bless, continue to bless Dawn as she stands in Moldova, Lord, teaching English as a second language, Lord. Bless her. Teach those teachers, Lord. Let her keep seeing your hand. And Lord, we pray for the Hartford Project as they prepare to go out now and serve in that great city of Hartford. Lord, be with them this week for all the assignments you have. And Father, as we send our little ones downstairs, keep your hand upon them and bless their teachers and anoint them. Lord, we love you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mr. Blau, is David here? It's just me alone. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Well, I could, we could have prayed for a long, long time there. Um, friendship class, if anybody wants to go to friendship. Wait, kids, we wanted the kids to stay today. Sorry, I should have said that. Can they stay? Can you grab them? Just for a few minutes. Ooh, I'm stuck on myself. All right, so Dave's not up here, but he's supposed to be. So you've got me today. Amory Boulay, on staff here at Wittenberry. So grateful to greet you today. And we always know that uh, folks visit in the summer. So if you're one of these families that are with us today who may be visiting, looking for a church home, please know that you're warmly welcome here. And there are many, many ways to connect at Wittenberry. In front of you in your pocket, there's a little connect card. If you share your name and your email with us, we'll contact you by mail this week. And you can get to know the church, get acquainted, you can ask your questions. And yeah, we'd love to see you make this place your home. On the flip side of that card, if you've got a prayer request on your heart today and you want to share that with us, again, all this information remains confidential, but we will pray for you. Uh, the staff, the elders, and the deacons all hold your prayers very much in high esteem, and we know God answers those prayers. So please feel free to use that card, connect with us, and when the ushers come down in a moment, you can pop the tab in the basket. Um, right before this service, if you are planning on returning, come a little bit earlier at 10.30 in the morning. We have coffee hour, and you're welcome to join us. And then lastly, just to tell you a little bit about the Connection Center, it's located downstairs, and there's all kinds of information about ministries that are happening in our church. We're, we would welcome you to stop by there and check it out and pick up a gift on your way out. So this is Mr. Dave Blau, our Hi, pastor. everybody. Good morning. 
Mm -hmm. And I have in my hand these wonderful cards. Tell us about it. Yes. So if you go upstairs and you're at the top of the stairs and you turn immediately left, on the table are four of our DR missionaries. And what I mean by DR, they're not our doctor missionaries. They are our Dominican Republic missionaries. And we'd love for you to be able to uh, take each of them and be able to pray over them because of the, the great work that they're doing down in the Dominican. We also have uh, an orange sheet. This is our summer missions prayer list. You can add that um, as well. And we have, um, we have just come back from the DR, uh, uh, a team of nine. And it's because of your prayers that we saw the things happen that happen. We're going to share at another time, but it's pretty significant. And so please, you have to understand how powerful prayer is, and, and you are part of it. So thank you for that. We are grateful. And that orange sheet talks about all the different missions that are happening throughout the summer, as David just showed you. And we would love for you to continue covering the missionaries in prayer. They're, they're here in the United States and really some parts of the world. So that's a very cool thing. It is. Um, I didn't talk to friendship class, but listen, if you're here for friendship class, they're having a fun gathering right behind the church office building, making some tie-dye t-shirts. So if you're here for that, please go join them. I know it's fun, isn't it? It kind of makes fun. me want to go out there instead of listen to Andre. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Well, you never, we never get to do tie-dye shirts on, <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> I just want to say, I would never say that, bro. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, Dave. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Citadel. Let's see some photos of Citadel. Nope, that's coffee. There, there it are. is. Yeah. Uh, we had a blast at Citadel of Love. We it did. was Wednesday night. We just wanted to show you a snapshot of our pastors and some fun families that were there. Let's praise God if you got to go there. I will tell you. They did a great job serving us and preparing meals for us. Oh, my goodness. And there was such a spirit of love in that room. So thank you for joining. And I know it meant a lot to sit And the food room. was incredible. I know because I went back for seconds. I know. I think he really went back for thirds. But, <laughs> yeah. Why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I'm getting feisty up here. Sorry. Yes, you are. That's a good-looking group of people totally. over there. Fine yeah. looking. Look at group. that guy, man. He's good looking. Oh, yeah. The one. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. okay, Dave. <laughs> Moving on. We never know what we're going to give you when we stand before you, but we do have another beautiful thing to talk about. Yes. And that's the backpack ministry. And that's happening on August 2nd on a Friday night. We uh, gather at 7 o'clock. We've got two initiatives happening in one moment. The first is we're packing 500 backpacks for the underground ministry, and those are going to go out to high-risk youth that are vulnerable to being trafficked. And so they'll be used as a way to help kids know where they can find help. It's such an important initiative. Uh, the, as important as that is, we're going to bless the town of Bloomfield and the greater Hartford area with backpacks that will come from our church. That's the second initiative. And how you can help downstairs in the Connection Center is a backpack ministry card. And on that card gives you a list of all the products that a backpack needs to have in it and, and to bless that child. Now, you don't have to buy everything. 
But if you would take a look at that card downstairs and go shopping, all the sales started this week coming up. You can buy crayons for 25 cents and That's markers. That's a good deal. Yeah, it is a good deal. Yep. And for about $20, you can fill a backpack. And again, you don't need to do that, but if you're feeling led as a family, what a cool thing to do. What's going to happen when we get your donations is those will be built for the town of Bloomfield and Greater yep. Hartford by Natalie Lynn Smith and our teams. And so everything, all this stuff is happening on Friday, August 2nd. We would love for you to join us, and we would love for you to give. So that's 500 backpacks, but then another 100 backpacks yeah. equals 600. She's very good with her math. So 600 <laughs> backpacks that we need to fill up, and it would be a great blessing. It You're would right. be, and we'd love for you all to come. No age matters. We could use anybody's hands, so bless yeah, you. Yeah, like as old as Andre even, right? Oh, yeah. Andre, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Honestly, David, what are you thinking? I don't know. You you told me to say that. I didn't. Okay. Actually, he's so wrong. Andre, you know I think you're lovely. Okay. Andre wants us to wrap it. Okay, next thing is Faith Quest. And so, uh, David, you want to talk a little bit about that? I do. So, we've had these cards down in the lower lobby about Faith Quest. And we'd love for you, if you have uh, kids... And going into kindergarten up through grade six to participate in this. This is like our summer vacation Bible school, and it's really exciting. Our family has participated in it for a number of years. And the first service, Isaac and Silas, my nine-year-old twins, they ended up giving their reasons for wanting to come to Faith Quest. One had to do with food, and I'm not sure where that came from. And then the, the others, were they, they love the singing to start out with. It's just a lot of high energy, and they love jumping around. And they love how much the teachers care for them. So those were all significant. And we want you to be part of that and experience that. So please, um, if you don't have one of these, Alex, do you have uh, some over there? Do you have, you've lost them? Okay. Well, they'll be down in the lower lobby. Please pick this up with more information on the backside there. And then also um, the Prayer and Connect cards. If you want an easy way to register, just fill it in. Just fill your name in, the name of your child, and just say, love to be part of Faith Quest, and then we'll be in contact you, with you there. So the ushers already came down and picked up those tabs, but you can pull another one out and just see Dave after the service or hand it to Andre or myself, and we'll make sure to get you registered. Super um, easy. Yeah, we really want folks to register. That's the most important thing today to just kind of pop down, let us know that your kids are coming. We appreciate that so much. And we're looking to forward to a full house. Now, we bless you. We just want to call it Brian Sullivan and all of the Harford Project team. Stand here. with us. We want yep. to commission you for your week. Thank you. Yep, let's praise God for that. Here we them. go. Good looking group. Hello. So Brian just came back from the DR as well. And now he's going to serve as a leader, as a key leader for this trip. So let's hear a little bit about it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, all right, so we have 28 students on our Harford Project team from Wintonbury this year with six leaders, which is just awesome. Praise the Lord. Um, yep. And those, those 28 students come from um, four different churches, as I was thinking through it, four different churches 
are coming together and joining the Wintonbury team to go into the Hartford, uh, into Hartford to serve the Lord there. Uh, and of course, we'll be uh, joining other churches that are bringing youth groups um, from their churches down. And so we're really excited. Gabe, do you know how many churches are involved in this? Five other churches besides ours? or f Four other churches besides ours is going to be down this, this weekend. I asked my son because he's an intern this year for the Hartford Project, so he would know more than I would. So, um, <laughs> so it's very exciting. Um, we're excited to be able to serve. We had our um, team meeting on Friday, and everybody's ready. We're ready to, to see what the Lord has for us to do this upcoming week, and we covet your prayers. Yeah, and so now we want to pray. Oh, Father, uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray sending the 34 out, the 28 kids, the 28 students, the six leaders, along with the other churches and students and leaders, we pray in your name that your presence will make a magnificent difference, that we would be in awe to hear the stories that would be told as a result of this team and the teams going out. So, Father, would you bless that? Would you bless this team to be fully in unity? We pray, God, that they would just consider each other more important than themselves, that they would be doing things as a result of saying, this is for you, Jesus, and there will be no grumbling, there will be no complaining, but it will be unity and there will be great joy even in the midst of difficult things. And so we pray for them. We pray for their safety. We pray, Lord God, for the places that they're going to, that they would be a blessing as they serve. We pray also, God, that they would receive a blessing from you in the way in which they serve. May they be totally fixing their eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may you, God, allow them to be able to do the kinds of things that they will remember, not only in the days to come, but weeks to come and the months to come, because it is a testimony of your great goodness and your great kindness. So would you do all these things? We pray that you would in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Bless you, team. You can, you